Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by frankenoak.com. frankenoak.com is the online destination for guys who want to look sharp and shop smart. Visit frankenoak.com and find a new collection of menswear every month. There's a place I know in Ontario where the sea lions kiss, so the story goes. That story changed on August 15th, 2012. The Toronto Star ran its first expose on marine land, the massive marine mammal-themed amusement park in Niagara Falls, Ontario. In the months and years since, star reporter Linda Diebel has published a steady stream of allegations from a growing number of whistleblowers who have worked at Marineland, backed by photo evidence and inside documentation. The impact of her reporting is what many newspaper journalists dream about and just what the whistleblowers say that they were hoping for. Marineland committed to updating its water quality management. The OSPCA demanded further reforms in Marineland. The government demanded reforms of the OSPCA. The government overhauled regulations and licensing around zoos and aquariums and banned the breeding and sale of orcas and other marine animals. Bob Barker got involved. But there were also impacts to the reporting that the whistleblowers were not hoping for. 
Marineland launched a series of still-pending lawsuits against the Toronto Star and three of the whistleblowers, including my guest today, Phil Demers. Now, we have asked Marineland and its owner to come on today's show and tell their side of the story. They replied that there is, quote, no other side to this story. There is no story, end quote. They deny all of Phil Demers' claims. They say that these are false and defamatory allegations. At this point, no court has actually ruled on whether Phil Demers' claims are true or false. Marineland warned us that if we air Phil's allegations, and this too is a quote, you and your news site and podcast network will be sued to judgment, end quote. They referred us to court documents and third-party expert reports, which they say prove that Phil Demers' claims are false. We have researched and reviewed those materials carefully. We've consulted with our lawyer, and we are proceeding with today's show. Phil Demers will be with me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Rita Kindle Myers. Jim Moore, Cameron Walker, Ian McAfee, Vicki Templin, Ruth Walker, Delaney Deb, Jane Sandsden, and Alan Sorensen. Alan, why did you decide to be awesome? To be fair, I may have been a little high when I decided to do that, but I think having Canada Land around is very important. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Frank and Oak. You may remember that frankandoak.com sponsored some episodes months ago 
And I can tell you that in the time in between those sponsorships, before I knew they would come back on the show and sponsor more Canada Land, I still went online and bought more Frank and Oak clothes. Frankenoak.com is the online destination for guys who want to look sharp and shop smart. Discover the latest in stylish, affordable menswear with their monthly on-trend collections. Their Hunt Club service means that you can try everything on at home risk-free. They mail it to you. You try it on. You see if you like it. If you don't like it, you just give it back. There's no anxiety that you usually get with online shopping. If you really have no idea where to start when it comes to dressing yourself, you can even have their stylists send you a box based on your taste and budget. Step up your game stylishly and affordably. Head to frankenoak.com. Use the code CANADALAND, and you will get 20% off of your first purchase. Proud Canadian company, frankenoak.com. Go check it out. I guess we should start at the beginning. Sure. Back when you worked for Marineland? Let's start just shy of my working at Marineland. Okay. Had no real uh, uh, specific goals in life at this point. How old were you? I was 22. Well, I was about 21 at this point. Okay. So I saw this uh, ad, which was, you know, do you want to be a, a killer whale trainer, or rather a marine mammal trainer's assistant? And I thought, well, first off, I, I can't possibly be one because I, I assume that there would have been some required education that I didn't have and some experience. I went to school for audio engineering and what was called multimedia post-production back in 2000, which is, you know, which was shortly thereafter a free download on the internet. So, I mean, really quite a useless education, but who was to know? And Marineland liked that. They wanted someone that could work on the audio, uh, maintain the equipment, and then, you know, thereafter maybe work in the music and whatnot. So uh, that with my scuba license seemed to be uh, something they wanted. So next thing you know, I was being fitted for size nine boots, and uh, then it was day one. So what was the job like? Well, I like to give the example of what my very first job was on day one, uh, just to offer some context. Um, I was told to go scrub a blood trail that went through Marineland's arcade. So they had recently done a necropsy of a killer whale that I had read in the newspaper that a killer whale had passed away. And they had done that necropsy, and I assumed there was still some, some remaining mess. So it was my job to get on my hands and knees through Marineland's Arcade and scrub a orca whale's blood trail. And I just thought, you know, at the time, yeah, this is kind of nuts. Like, Why did the blood trail lead through the arcade? So most people believe when they think about a place like Marineland, they believe that uh, if there to be any necropsies performed or any type of medical procedures, that there would be some elaborate laboratory to do that. No, we conducted or, or we did our necropsies in the arcade, directly where people get in line to claim their little plastic toys after getting a bunch of tickets that spit out after you know playing so many games and achieving so many points. And you do that in the video game arcade? That's right, in the off-season. Okay, proceed. Um, well, we've done a, a number of medical procedures in there. We removed all our walrus tusks uh, in that room. Um, yeah, yeah, the majority of all medical procedures in the off-season get done in the arcade. At least this was the case back, uh, and when, what, what's the time frame here? When were you doing this? Well, throughout my 12-year tenure, that was always the case. But, um, I mean, in the case of, of that orca necropsy, that would have been performed in 2000. Okay. All right, so when you weren't cleaning blood off of uh, orca blood from the video game arcade, what were you doing? So in the initial stages, you're essentially observing. You're learning in-house how to train. Over the, the few initial years, the, you know, you become uh, a parent of the turnover rate. And there was an exceptional, and still is an exceptional turnover rate for uh, marine mammal trainers. So it didn't take long before I, I saw myself in a senior role. And I can say now in hindsight, I didn't deserve in any capacity. I shouldn't say deserve. I mean, I was a good trainer. But in what world would I be regulating diets and uh, uh, really having a, a strong say in, in what medicines the, the animals need and, and, 
and giving them medical diagnoses and whatnot, I, I would have never imagined. I'm sure you were a great employee, but I just would imagine that a marine biologist or a veterinarian or somebody with some specific training in that respect would be doing that kind of thing. And again, most people do know that or, or rather believe that. So were the people who were leaving, did they have that kind of training? When I started, most of the senior trainers were not uh, university educated. You know, you got your job and you stayed. You kept the job. There was a number of people that were there for 10, 15, some even 25 plus years. Not the case so much now. Now they, uh, they try to emphasize to have a university degree in psychology or some type of zoology background and whatnot. But when I started and certainly up until even just shortly before I left, yeah, you didn't need any specific education. So ultimately, you, you became a whistleblower, and, and we'll talk about the process from the 12 years of employment to when you decided to do that. But let's try to summarize. I know that there is a long list of things that you ultimately found to be wrong with Marineland. If you can kind of take us through some of the most egregious things that made you feel like you had to, to, to speak up, what were they? Well, the, the most egregious thing was that during the last eight months of my tenure, uh, there was a, a breakdown in the water disinfection unit, uh, an ozone generator had broken. And at Marineland, we used ozone in conjunction with chlorine to sort of mitigate the chlorine use. Because you can imagine the effects of chlorine on an animal. You can you yourself probably understand what, it, what it's like to be in a hyperchlorinated pool. So when with that breakdown, the water got really, really, really bad. I believe the, the machine broke down in September, but it, we were now into October. The season closes, the park closes. So there's no one coming in anymore. Uh, there was a, I want to say an, a near unprecedented complacency at least in my experience, in dealing with this. Uh, so what would happen was we would go home from work in the evening and we would come back and you knew it when you came, when you walked into the, into the barn is what it's called, the warehouse, is where they house the animals in the winter and in the summer for that matter in the case of the pinnipeds. And uh, you could just smell it. It was like a right hook to the face, a pungent odor of chlorine and you knew once again that in the evening when, you know, few employees were there, chlorine was being added to the pool excessively. And this isn't just in my definition. The, the, the water values, uh, the water maintenance department, the results are out there. So anyone can, can sort of— This is documented that it It's was, documented. What animals were being exposed to this excessive level of chlorine? The dolphins, uh, their skin was being burnt excessively. I mean, literally, if you were to run your hand along their body, you were peeling off shards of skin and not— a natural sloughing, which occurs with dolphins. This was unnatural. You were pulling off chunks of skin. Okay. Their eyes were, I mean, I, I, I want to use the word obliterated, but there was some lot of damage being done, some permanent damage to both the sea lions, the walruses, and of course the dolphins, who had all lost their appetite. At this point, what we were doing was we were administering Valium to all the animals, and Valium in a, used in, in a zoological application uh, stimulates appetite. So- Really, we use a lot of Valium on these animals just to try to keep them eating. So yeah. I was, I was li like literally opening up dolphins' mouths and putting fish that was filled with Valium and forcing it into, into them, essentially, because they were not coming to us uh, voluntarily, just to try to keep them eating. The walruses and the, and the sea lions and the seals were losing fur. It's a horror show. They were all very lethargic. Yeah, it was a horror show. It was uh, arguably the, the most— well, I suppose it, it's comparative to what things are like these days, but one of the more arduous periods of my life, for sure. All of us, everyone that worked there. Were, were there like, where were the grownups? Were there like, were there zoologists and veterinarians involved? Were there, were there people who had a, uh, 
answer to someone other than management at Marineland, answer to a professional code or, or you know, some sort of regulatory body or anything? I very specifically asked one veterinarian one day, isn't this in your code of, of conduct or ethics to have to report what is deemed animal abuse? And, and her response to me was, I have a responsibility to the owner, John Holer, to not say anything. Uh-huh. Uh, which I found to be absurd because you immediately think, well, you would like to think that there's a laws in both Ontario and, and in the uh, College of Veterinarian that would otherwise indicate otherwise, right? That would, you know. Are there in, in, in Ontario, what, what uh, to, your, to your knowledge, because I know that this became an issue later mm-hmm. on, what, what are the, uh, the animal abuse laws when it, as pertaining to, to marine animals in, in Ontario? Well, there are really none. There are no standards of care. Currently, we're working on establishing some, but there was quite literally none. There's, a, there's some broad spectrum uh, laws or rules that can be applied. But in the case of marine land, what we learned is that any animal that is under veterinarian care is exempt from criminal animal abuse investigations. So, And the purpose of that was, let's say you have a dog and your dog is going in for surgery and you have it in a in a fenced-in environment or area and it is not provided with food or water and let's say a neighbor calls and complains and an OSPCA agent comes, that OSPCA agent will be presented with either a piece of paper or the, the owner will say, well, this animal is under veterinarian care. So I'm, I'm not abusing the animal by keeping water and, and food out of it. This is the veterinarian's orders. That's where that sort of uh, piece of uh, uh, that law applies. It's something to give veterinarians autonomy to do their work, I guess, is the intent there? I don't know. I suppose it's to... It's to just override, I suppose, overrule the OSPCA agents in this case. But in Marineland's case, this became a blanket issue because my understanding is that all the animals are under or considered under veterinarian care because all the animals were being treated for said abuse. So all the right. animals were being given eye ointments, uh, antibiotics, uh, appetite stimulants, um, you know, anti-inflammatories, whatever was, was, was necessary. And so on, on account of that, the OSPCA took that and said, well, there's really little to, to nothing we can do. They did issue some some stipulations that Marineland had to abide by, but really it was nothing. How did the OSPCA come into the picture at all? The Ontario Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Okay. I went to the Niagara Falls Humane Society to file a complaint. Of course, we know now that the land that the Niagara Falls Humane Society operates out of was donated to them by Marineland. There was a big plaque honoring owner John Holer in the entrance of the Niagara Falls Humane Society building up until shortly after the initial investigations. And this is where the OSPCA operates out of as well. So, again, hindsight, you start to see just how uh, how A, Ontario, and B, Marineland has operated in a, in a void of animal protection laws. Tell me about John Holer. I mean, he came up a lot in the Toronto Stars coverage of this. John Holer is the owner of Marineland. He's the sole controlling mind. He has no outside financial interest. There's no there's no other investors, nothing like this. He built this on by himself, essentially. Even extreme people tend to operate out of self-interest that are out of uh, motives you can usually figure out. This guy's running a big business, Marineland, the big successful entertainment business. He spends a lot of money on the animals, on their care, on the facilities. So what is his motive for blinding or damaging or hurting or harming these animals. And that's the question I often ask. He has five female dolphins, none of which are producing. Not that it mattered. Not a single baby dolphin ever lived beyond a few months at Marineland. He has one female orca. You're not going to get, at least at the time, he could have. Now there's been a a law that bans orca captivity in Ontario. Of course, Kiska, the lone remaining orca, doesn't apply. 
So he gets to keep her for uh, the remaining of her life. But I can't rationalize decisions he made and I can't understand where it's coming from. I can't imagine it's economically viable to— Did animals die? Well— Did they die as a result of the chlorination or any other of the practices that you're critical of? We lost one sea lion amidst that eight-month period. It had nothing to do specifically—the root cause of her problem wasn't the water. However, the fact that she was in that water for as long as she was in the last sort of period of her life was horrible. So we ultimately did take her out and put her in what's called the transport cage, which is a cage no smaller than this room. Yeah, if I reach out both arms on on either side, I can, I can at the narrowest part of this room, I can, I can touch both walls. So. so the animal, you know, lived out her remaining, you know— in a small cell. Weeks, in a very small cell, yeah. Uh-huh. Waterless pen, of course. Aside from this, uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, chlorination is something that you do when you're getting, uh, like, I don't know, bacteria, algae, and you're trying to, to make it safe. So, it, like, uh, one assumes that maybe it just went too far uh, in, in trying to sterilize the water. I'm not a water technician. Yeah. But you could not turn what the state of that water was back into healthy water. It was just too polluted? By... A long shot. The water was green. It had an acidic taste and feel. It was really sparkly, shiny, but not not in a in a good sense. It's very difficult to describe. Again, there's there's photos out there, uh, but it was making the animals sick. And certainly, the the chlorine was affecting the animals uh, negatively. Um, to the point where, up until the last day that I quit, I gave Marineland my two weeks right before the park opened. And in a haste, they started to dump the water. I think they, they they recognized that my frustration levels were now at a point where I was I, I quit my job. Had you raised these issues internally? We all did. Yeah. And twelve years into your tenure there, what was your relationship with like with the animals and what were you doing there? Well, I would say I had a pretty remarkable uh, relationship with the animals and I and I I do. I, I love animals. And with the story of the the sort of anomaly of the relationship that I shared with the walrus smooshy, you can sort of get a, a better understanding of how effective I was at communicating with these animals. So tell me about your anomalous relationship with smooshy. So smooshy was a wild-caught baby walrus. She was all of two years old when she came to Marineland. So our job is, of course, when you get green animals, is to you know help them adapt to their new captive environment. And smooshy had come in with some other uh, walruses. So we were doing a procedure where we were to draw blood from the animals. And again, they're not trained, so they're, they're, they don't uh, voluntarily do this. They haven't been conditioned to accept pain or even know what's going on. So what we did was we grabbed a really big net and we would throw it on the, the walrus. Again, a 200-pound bowling ball, if I had to describe what, this, what these animals were like. And Smooshy at the time was climbing like relentlessly on top of the trainers who were trying to you know, do this procedure. So I walked over and I tried to assist the trainers by trying to lead her away. So I put my hands directly in front of her face. And in that moment, what happened was her nostrils flared up real big. She took a big breath. Her eyes got real big. And what scientists have since described it is it was an imprinting moment. So I had imprinted on her brain circuitry. Her brain circuitry opened up. And for a brief moment, everything that I am got tattooed onto her brain. So now my scent, what I look like, the sound of my voice, all of these things were now representative of what her mother would have been in the wild. And with herd animals, you need this imprint so that calves can represent or can recognize their moms in, you know, in, in groups of, of hundreds and even thousands. And this is what happened. So she started to follow me 
and follow me everywhere and be very protective of me. And we had never seen anything like that. SeaWorld had come down to, to, to see it. They had never seen anything like it. We had scientists come in. And at the time, Marineland started to pitch this as a, uh, you know, this love story. So there was a Toronto Star article, which led to a, a Jimmy Kimmel spoof. We were on Inside Edition. I mean, the cover of CNN. And this is all... You know, and I don't want to call it the internet's infancy, but at a stage where, you know, uh, it, words was starting to spread around the internet and whatnot. And whatnot. So it was, uh, it was a pretty big story. You became Smooshy's mom and, and that became a big feel-good news story. A fluff piece, ultimately. Um, I was hoping at the time to sort of – I saw the relationship as an opportunity to show people the emotional capacity of these animals because, you know – and we've really come a long ways. And certainly there's been a paradigm shift with how we regard captive animals and even animals in general. Apparently Inside Edition and Jimmy Kimmel are less interested in that so much as they would prefer to see Smooshy beat up my girlfriend when she gets too close to me. So it wound up being a fluff piece. That's pretty good. It was a fun ride. All right. But now you're like, you're really high profile now. You're associated with Marineland's brand. Marineland's getting big U.S. entertainment circuit attention and your your feel good love story with this walrus is is front and center. Uh, that's got to change your relationship with your employer from when you were scrubbing blood up from the arcade floor. Well, my understanding is while he was was accepting of the attention initially, uh, near the end he it started he started Ooh. the owner he was less he was less approving of uh, of the interviews and the. He started to curtail all of that. At this point, were you at all concerned about the treatment of animals at Marineland? There was always an element of concern for the treatment of the animals. But th- what I stress now, and again, hindsight is twenty twenty, is you don't you don't look beyond y- your own experience and your, and your own sort of perception. And my being a young trainer, a young a young person in an environment which I I, I believed that I had the best job in the world, and really I did. I mean, swimming with dolphins for a living. But then there was those days where you know something incredible and just horrible would happen, and it would absolutely gut you. It like would, what? Besides the chlorine. You well, know, I mean, I've had to, I've had to, <laughs> I hate to use the term chop up, but essentially chop up baby dolphins all of minutes before going out on stage and smiling and waving while Why? jumping off a dolphin. Well, we were doing, we were performing necropsies. Animals. On, on, right. Uh, I mean, is that wrong? If, if, the, if, the, if it's a dead animal, are you supposed to do that? Are you trying to figure out what killed it? Oh no, we're not chopping it up. Uh, yeah. We're, we're doing a, we're performing a necropsy. We want to find out what the cause of death was. Right. So, you know, there's days where you're, you're doing this and you're, you're scrubbing the blood off to get back on stage to perform smile and wave and then come back and then get back to to your bloody gear to, to... Okay, so you're not saying that anything wrong was being done. You're saying it was emotionally difficult to I'm do I'm saying that, so. it was a very emotional... Yeah, right. So, okay. but, in that, but in that very capacity, you don't really put the, the, the blocks together. You assume that someone somewhere knows what's going on and that the, the world of captive animals is fine. It's regulated. It's understood. I mean, there's got... I mean, it wasn't my life's objective to become a marine mammal trainer. It just sort of happened. And I went for it. I wanted to be the best. I believed I had the best job in the world. It isn't until later when you start realizing and you're part of the process of making certain decisions that you believe should be in the best interest of, that you're trying to do in the best interest of the animals that you start to get that resistance from management. And you're just like, but it doesn't make sense. How can we not do this? We have to. I mean, you know. So tell me why you left the best job in the world and, and, and why you decided to let people know about what was happening there. <sighs> so... <clears throat> Number one, in Niagara Falls, it's an economically depressed environment. You don't leave a job 
that was steady days, benefits. I mean, I hate to sound selfish in all this, but I was treated pretty fairly of all the employees. Um, I could walk to work. To give that up and to have to sever the relationship with the walrus, of course, and all the other animals, because of course I loved all of the animals. It was ultimately my responsibility to, to oversee the care of all the animals near, you know, at the end of my tenure there. I had deteriorated, my health had deteriorated both my physical health and my mental health to the point where, I mean, even these days, I get more sleep in a day or two than I did over the period of week, a week to 10 days back then. I was on antidepressants. I didn't hesitate to drink beer while consuming a piece of Valium at night to help me sleep. To try was, to, that, was that common? Or, like, I, I was sort of wondering that when you're stuffing Valium into fish to feed to dolphins. Were, were there, was there drug use amongst the employees or the, the stuff that was meant for the animals? That's a difficult question for me to answer. My counterclaim outlines exactly what was going on. Was well, that a, a court record at this point? We've not gone to court. It's been upwards of three years, and the only thing we've done is amassed a incredibly large bill, legal fees, court fees included, for dates that have ultimately been canceled every single time. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. You're, you're telling me how you came to leave. Well, there came a point where my mental health and physical health, I had to make a choice. To stay in the role that I had, having already expressed a great deal of discontent to management. I mean, like I, I had gone beyond the point of uh, being patient anymore. I guess you could say I overstepped the people who should have been in the owner's ear, and maybe they should have been in that in his ear a little more aggressively. At least in my opinion, there was no intention of me to speak to the media. I thought maybe I could sue Marineland. And uh, for constructive dismissal, at least this is the law that I thought applied, because in the eyes of the law, animals are possessions. And in some cases, or at least in my case, it was the tools of my trade. Well, sick and compromised animals, I can't work with. So in my mind, I thought in this interpretation, maybe I could bring the, the plight of the animals into maybe a conversation. Maybe there's some legal instrument you could use to get the, the law. And so I called a lawyer. Uh-huh. Shortly thereafter, I got a call from the Toronto Star. And at the time, multiple media uh, companies were, were calling former employees. Uh, CBC had been calling former employees. I think the Fifth Estate were looking to do a story. There was a number of stories, even while I was still employed, there was a number of people of, of media looking for answers to some questions. Well, uh, the media finds out about stuff when people call the media. Do you, do you know that there were uh, employees, former employees, anonymous employees? Did you know anything about how the media was getting alerted to this? Even today, for the life of me, I can't figure out who it was. And I can assert that it was not me even then. So I assume, yes, we used to get calls from uh, that the ministry would come in, labor board, a bunch of different, and we never knew who was calling. So yes, someone had to have been calling, but I can say that it, it actually wasn't me. I, I wish it was me. I wish I had the, the wherewithal to do that, but yeah. I, was, uh, I was a scared individual. Okay, so the star calls you. And I reject them. And I reject them and I reject them. And who was it from the star who called you? It was Linda Diebel. Ultimately, I go and I speak with another former employee who was, you know, my mentor. This was the guy who had had 25 plus years and he left Marineland under difficult circumstances. And I went to talk to him one day. I rode my bike over and I said to him, his wife is a lawyer. And I said, I'm thinking of suing them. Like I, I can't separate myself from what happened and where things are likely going to go. I mean, I had to quit my job for them to dump the water. I know the state of the facility. I know the state of the department. We were short-staffed. Really, the, the experience was lacking. It was, it was a poor state of affair when I left. 
And he said to me, Phil, you just got to let it all go. Just let it go. Marine Line will be business as usual forevermore. Let go of the, of the pain. Let go of the hate, if you will. Cause, and I was admittedly angry at the time. Upset, let's use the, the term. And uh, I left that conversation feeling really good. Uh, all of a sudden, my, my, I felt a little lighter. And so when I left, I had a meeting with the, uh, the CFO, the chief financial officer of Marine Land, and the, and the owner. And I outlined and detailed all of my concerns. And I know that they didn't like that very much. They, they certainly reminded me of the non-disclosure agreement that they thought that I had signed, which is a whole other story altogether because I, I didn't actually sign it, which is kind of funny when she was racing up and down the office looking for this thing that she reminded me, don't forget, you signed this thing. Were you never given one or you just decided never to sign it? I was given two, one copy for me, one copy f- to sign and give to them. I stuffed them both in my pants and walked out of the room. This is like when you started working there 12 years this prior? Was, this was years before, after Kandu had passed away. Suddenly- uh, Who's Kandu? Kandu was their last remaining uh, male orca. Uh-huh. He died over Christmas and then suddenly it was talked about on Facebook and there was some, you know, there was some conversation somewhere. And so they decided that's it. Non-disclosure agreements. They were, they were really adamant. That's interesting. So you were, you you were careful not to sign it and hope nobody noticed and nobody did. Correct. The then receptionist called me and said, what did you say? She's, and the, the woman's name is Tracy. Tracy is running up and down the office fuming, looking for something. She's searching frantically for something. And I felt in that moment just a little bit of, you know, validation yeah. for what I did. Yeah. So you told them all your concerns and, and they reminded you of the NDA that you never had signed. So after the conversation with the supervisor, I was now driving back to Marineland because during that meeting, we had an, uh, a very clear understanding that on account of my relationship with the Walrus, which was historically she needed me in her life for her, for her physical health. I mean, I managed because of our relationship to, to give her medication when she would otherwise not eat. For instance, if, if walrus is not eating, you can't just walk up to it and give it food. If it's rejecting food, it's not going to eat. If it was smooshy and with me, she would still follow me. So I can get her physically out of the water to follow me out. And then we could administer medication. We could put her through squeeze cages and whatnot. Whereas another walrus is not going to follow you. The, the appetite's gone. They want so nothing to do with they you unless you have you to food. come back to help treat Smooshy and you agreed? Well, the understanding was that that would be the case. And in fact, after I'd left, I quit, I believe on a Thursday, that Saturday, they called me in to come administer uh, medication to a dolphin because a dolphin was, was acting strange on account of them having dumped the water, which anytime you change a captive anim- animal's environment, they get, uh, you know, they get nervous. Sure. And so I actually had been called back on that Saturday. So I'm on my ride home from the, the former supervisor's house after having that conversation, and I decide to stop at the park. I'm going to see Smooshy. I get to the gate, the gate that I walked through thousands of times over the course of my 12 years, and I'm being rejected at the door. So you assume that because your, your services are still being required uh, to help some of the animals, even after your employment, that you still had the same privilege to come in and, and see the animals on your own time? I had assumed that, yes. Yeah. But when I got there, this wasn't the case. Yeah. No problem. I called my girlfriend who was the killer whale trainer at the back. I said, do you have any of your free passes? They're not letting me in. While I have my phone to my ear, the owner's son walks by and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, you're like family here. You're, you're coming in. Thank you, Johnny. Brings me in, escorts me in. I know something's wrong. I know it in, my, in the pit of my stomach. Veterinarian's already been told that I was there. She's now coming around the back in her yellow cart. I jump in the yellow cart and I say, you know, what's going on? Let's go see Smooshy. And she says, okay, but you're not going to like what you're going to see. I show up and the, the, the other form, the other trainers are there and their jaws are on the floor once they see me. When I got there, she was bone dry. She had lost, I'm going to say hundreds of pounds. I had been gone now for a month. 
I'd never been separated from Smooshy more than 10 days. And during that 10 days, she actually lost 30 pounds. It was actually, it was, it was a difficult period for those, the trainers that were there. This time I was gone for a month, but I thought that I'd properly weaned her. I had tried as best I can over the last few months to wean myself away from her to make sure the other trainers could feed her. I showed up. She was underweight. She was lethargic. She was hot. There was no ice on the deck. She, there was no fresh water for her. And when animals aren't eating, marine mammals, you have to get water into them. I've watched animals go from healthy to dead in 24 hours. And hydration is instrumental. You have to have that, that hydration. They don't have a big window when, they're not, when they don't have water. So the vet followed me and I said, well, let's get some meds to her. So they ran, got some appetite stimulants. Uh, we got some water into her. We got the medication into her. You know, she was, she obviously responded to me and I was just, you can almost call it a, a shock because now all of my greatest fears, the reasons that I wasn't leaving for so long, all of these things were coming, were coming to fruition, were becoming true. Like this animal was going to die. Do you think that this was just your absence, that this was uh, an animal that had lost its parent and it was just wasting away? Or do you think that it was being mistreated in your absence? This was an animal that was no longer responding to the other trainers. This was an animal that was not eating on account of our separation. This is an animal that never been separated from me before. This okay. is a new environment. Her, her comfort zone was in my presence. Beyond that, she was always uh, nervous and difficult to work with. She really, she, even today, she doesn't serve a purpose to Marineland because if you bring her out on stage, if another trainer brings her out on stage, she's not listening to him anyways. She's going for a swim and she's looking for me. The next day I called the star. I said, you use my name, you use my face, get the story out. At You're this, going on the record. On the record. They wanted me, of course, on the record. At this point, they had been speaking with a number of employees. I think the first story came out, there was seven or eight former employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, thereafter, it, it became ultimately 15. Yeah, that's how it goes. Shortly thereafter, the story came out. Front page, international press. Uh, there were some compelling things in that story, in that investigation. Photos, videos, health records, testimony. You blew the whistle. There were some good effects of that story, and then there were some negative effects. Let's start with the good that came out of that reporting. The good that came out of it was suddenly there was a national conversation, international conversation for that matter, of uh, marine mammals in captivity as a whole, which was a new idea back in 2012. Remember, this was before Blackfish. This was before Blackfish. So this before was that documentary that kind of uh, crystallized this, this issue for a lot of people. Which in itself presented a lot of uh, challenges because this was a new idea for people. The idea that Marineland is a place that harms animals is, is, was a very difficult thing for people to process. So initially, I, I was the subject of a great deal of criticism and a lot of hate. There was a lot of hate directed towards us, but... Everybody loves Marineland. Well, they did. Suddenly in the Ontario legislature, we're talking about standards of care. Suddenly we're talking about, uh, you know, the void of laws, the lack of laws, and Marineland's sort of history, and there's a, there's a deep and long one, was sort of be being unearthed. So people were starting to see the truth of the matter. Uh, there was a lot of scrutiny, obviously, over the OSPCA and their lack of laws and how they operate in general. McGinty at the time expressed great, he was disconcerned with, what, with everything that was going on. The Premier of Ontario at the time, Dalton McGinty. And so they announced that something would come in the spring. That would be the spring of 2013. Of course, nothing did. Something in the way of new legislation? I was lucky enough to meet with, I say lucky enough, I was asked to go meet with Madeleine Meyer, who was then the uh, community safety uh, minister. It was actually on the day that Marineland fired my girlfriend, who was the killer whale trainer, who shortly thereafter, after, after they fired her, she spoke with the star and they sued her. She was actually the very first uh, former employee that was sued. What they sue her for? Well, a classic slap suit is uh, defamation. Yeah. And so what she had expressed in the Trump Star article is uh, concern for... Kiska, Canada's lone remaining orca, A, because she's a socially complex 
uh, animal, emotionally complex animal, and she lives in solitude. And she, at the time, was constantly crying out for other animals. She had just, you know, she had lost all five of her calves, every one of her tank mates. You know, she is alone. Let's just say she's living in what most people would call hell. Well, we're going to talk about the good stuff that happened because of the story first. So they they promised legislation, didn't come when they said it was going to come, did it come at all? Has yet to come, no. I mean, they made a statement of, uh, we, they did pass the ORCA ban, so you can no longer in Ontario bring in, transport, or uh, artificially inseminate, breed captive killer whales. What about the animals themselves who are suffering, like the, the higher level of scrutiny and the bad press that they were getting? They must have... Uh, I have to imagine they did something. The water was dumped. A number of things were, a lot of structures that were otherwise hurting the the whales and stuff were removed from pools. Uh, I I believe that they called a lot of the deer because there were a lot of complaints about the land animals as well. The treatment of land animals at Marineland is actually really abhorrent. Uh, It's not something that gets a lot of attention, I, I suppose, on account of deer being less cute than orcas, maybe, whatever the case. Just off brand, I guess. It's not where your mind goes, but. Exactly. Most people expect me to announce these major boycotts of the park and whatnot, and and I do. But if someone's adamant on going, I love to speak with them so that they can go over there and offer and and maybe exercise a new critical perspective. So I don't tell people don't go to Marineland. I say go, but look, like take a good hard look because because once you see things for what they really are, rather than cloud them with the emotion and the, the conditioning that that Marineland theme song has, has done to kids over decades. It's really a horrible place. It's still, I mean, really, there's been no uh, no improvements to the facilities aside from the, the, the new constru- the construction of some new pools in for as long as the place existed. So you brought this issue to everyone's attention. You got people talking about it. You raised the profile of animal rights at Marineland, probably beyond Marineland. At least government's looking at this. Uh, there's the orca ban. And maybe the animals that were actually being affected right then and there, things improved for them. What happened to you and the other people who went on the record? You mentioned that your girlfriend uh, was... uh, She was on the record as well as Jim Hammond, who's a former uh, land animal care supervisor. Yeah. Uh, He actually revealed a horrible story of how one day a neighbor's dog, one of John's neighbor's dogs, got out. And the, the tractor had gone through the, the park, so the, the gate was wide open. So the dogs ran into the park. And it wasn't the first time that they had done this, but these dogs were beautiful little Labradors. I mean, this, these were not a big nuisance. I mean, these are, these are puppy dogs. You can't mistake them for coyotes or – anyways. Basically what happened was Jim called John Holer because he has the last say on all the decisions that are being made and said, the neighbor's dogs are in the, in the property again. Do you want me to call the OSPCA? John said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Two gunshots, and then Jim gets the call, take the collars off the dog, load them in the back of the truck, go bury them in the, in the graves. How do you know that? I know this because I was there that day. I heard the gunshots. I was there when Jim Hammond called the veterinarian and said, John just shot two dogs. The word spreads pretty fast. And Jim put this all on the record? He put this on the record. Shortly thereafter, he was sued for defamation. Why would he shoot these dogs? It was probably in his, from his perspective, a good idea. Okay. All of this comes out. It doesn't make anybody at Marineland look good. It makes the owner of Marineland look pretty awful. And you all get sued. And we all get sued. Defamation? I get sued for plotting to steal a walrus. Hold on. (laughs) Phil, did you plot to steal a walrus? No. As I understand it, you did say something to the press that they're basing that on, yeah? 
I said some years before that this was the best job of my life and I would never quit, to which the star reporter asked me, well, what would you do uh, if you left? I said, well, I'll take her with me. I wrote a Huffington Post blog and I said to Smooshie, pack your bags. Uh, I'm coming to get you. Based on that alone, and I guess uh, I'll have a look at the at the at the the claim and see if they have, if, if there's more that you're not talking about like sure. what why they would accuse you of that, but it doesn't sound like a legitimate threat that you're going to break into Marineland and 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 steal this animal based based on what you just told me anyhow. I don't have a chilled airplane, nor do I have access to a Arctic beachfront okay, so, <laughs> place to release her. <laughs> so this is so crazy. They they sue you for for plotting to steal Smooshy. Did they sue you for defamation as well? Mm-mm. Because they didn't have the NDA? I don't know why they didn't sue. Uh, th- that actually, that question was raised a number of times by, by local media. They said this is, they kept stressing, this is not a defamation lawsuit. However, Marine It wouldn't, Land- it wouldn't have mattered the NDA, right? The, that, that's a different thing. That's breach of contract, right? Like uh, defamation is sort of separate from that. The Toronto Star stressed to me that if you're alleging abuse, no non-disclosure agreement protects a company from Abuse, and this is at least yeah. how I was. Ex- it was explained to me. Uh, reporters will say things to get sources to talk. But. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. And do you regret going to the press? I have no regrets whatsoever. Uh, the animals, since we spoke out, were immediately better off, and there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Whereas staying at Marineland, not blowing the whistle, there was no light. I-, I can imagine right now I would be in far worse condition. I'm I'm physically healthier than ever. My mind is clear. Uh, no more medication, no more depression, no more sleepless nights. Yeah. But you are facing this, uh, what's the figure they're coming after you for? They're coming after me for 1.5. They're coming after my girlfriend for 1.25. They're going after Jim for, I believe, in the area of 1.25 or 1.5. Something else did happen legislatively as a result. You know, slap lawsuit is what we call, you know, and I'm not saying that Marine Lands was a slap lawsuit, but I'm saying what a slap lawsuit is, is... uh, a lawsuit that somebody can never win that they they use punitively, a frivolous lawsuit that journalists sometimes face, that whistleblowers face, uh, when a big organization is trying to grind you down and, and keep you in the courts. They don't think they can win, but they'll keep you in the courts as long as they can. Why don't you tell me what happened legislatively in the wake of the lawsuits against you? The, the acronym SLAP is Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Oh, thank you. So they passed this law, but unfortunately it's now – so this is Bill 52, I believe, and the original version of it, Bill 83 – was tabled. In fact, I believe if it was at committee uh, and, and almost passed, and that version of the slap legislation was retroactive. This is where the teeth was in the in this legislation. That was removed. So they just passed anti-slap legislation. So from here on out, anyone that faces lawsuits similar to ours is protected. There's a there's a vehicle in the in the court proceedings where which you can file a motion. If the judge agrees that this might be a slap lawsuit, then there's a way that the judge can say, you're not going to tie up this person in court for years and cost and bankrupt them. We're just going to clear this off of the docket right now. That's, and, that's what the anti-slap legislation, the original version of it, as you say, would have, would have covered older cases still in the courts. And then that sort of disappeared. And when it came back for review, the retroactive part of it was gone. We are now arbitrarily fighting against lawsuits that are Illegal in Ontario. Right. We, it's been a the decision was made that that this law does not apply to us. And I don't believe that it was personal against us, but we this does not apply. So now I am fighting against a bullshit lawsuit that is deemed illegal. And actually, uh, the new legislation, I, I believe there's a there's a function where you the 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 plaintiff can actually uh, get some punitive damages 
against them for even launching the suit. Yeah, for whatever it costs you to, to have a determined to slap lawsuit. So if – thrown out. If for shits and giggles you want to talk money, we're in for over six figures and for in legal bills. I mean we've got years ahead of us yet. This yeah. is a million-dollar decision uh-huh. on my shoulders. This is a million-dollar decision. How's that affected your life since Marineland? I mean, how are you living? And and uh, I, I, like, and I should say, I mean, I, you know, we're going to try to get comment from them. I'm not sure we're going to get it. They also allege that you were upset because they were going to make a reality show with you and Smooshy, and your and so their, their version of events, as I understand it, uh, involves this allegation that you're a, I guess, a, a disgruntled former employee who, you know, Marineland was your connection to to the big time, and you lost that. They called me the Kanye West of animal training. It's such a strange uh, thing. Welcome to my life. So <laughs> what do you do now? Well, so I've, I've been, I mean, I've, I've been working. Uh, again, Niagara's a, a challenging environment to find a job, certainly one that you want to hold on to. But You can't like cross the street and go to the other marine park, I guess. Crossing the street puts me on Marine Land's property. I'm not doing that. <laughs> They're a pretty big presence in Niagara Falls, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they certainly are. So I, I, I was lucky enough to find some employment, um, Keeping food on the table, but ultimately it's been the support of the people because really in all of this, uh, we've raised a, a, a lot of money. We've had a lot of crowdfunding. And again, I'm not, I'm not a, 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 an internet savvy person really. I mean, I've had to come to learn all of this in the same capacity as Marineland has had to. What's the best case scenario for you at this point? For me personally? For this whole thing. I used to have the objective of, of getting laws created so that uh, a place like Marineland could ultimately be shut down. There would be some type of of oversight that would step in and say, look, what you're doing is, is inadequate. You have to provide this, 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 this. That was my initial objective. Uh, it's admittedly become personal. They, they've attacked me relentlessly. In fact, just in August, they sent a press release calling me an alcoholic druggie and uneducated, of course, and uh, you know, egomaniac and whatever else. Now I would prefer to see the day that Marineland would evolve completely and just get rid of the animals because I don't think there's a happy medium where the animals can thrive, let alone really survive for a, for a healthy lifespan at Marineland. So I don't want to use the word shut down. I know that's not going to happen. It's not realistic. I want to see them uh, forced to evolve, if you will. Uh, I would also, and, and now you can really call me crazy, I want to be reunited with that walrus. I want her, if it's conceivable that she'd be moved, great. Uh, there are other facilities in uh, in Canada that can take care of her where in the event that she needs me, I can be there for her. When's the last time you saw her? I saw a photograph of her in September. Last time I physically saw her was the day before that I ultimately called the Toronto Star and said, you better get my ass in those front pages. Uh-huh. What is your advice to other people who are thinking about blowing a whistle on something that shouldn't be happening at a place where they work? If they are genuine in their in their pursuit, in their intent to, to, to create change, then that solidified result is going to help further down the road when it feels like a lifetime of not being able to do anything in life. I really feel like I'm in a prison. It sounds horrible, but... Do you regret it? No, I do not, no. And that's because of my firm resolve. I, I'd said it then. I, I still have images tattooed of my, in my mind of those animals looking me directly in the eyes. And, you know, in the moment, I, I may have heard them say, or interpreted those that look as don't you forget about us. Either way, those images pop back up, and I feel strong again. I feel great. How do you feel about your relationship with the Toronto Star? Do you feel like you feel like that was an honest and fair? No, no, certainly not. I feel like a the reporting is meticulous, hands down. I'm not critical in any capacity there. I think that 
they've leveraged my vulnerability. False promises were made. Like what? I am just of the opinion that they should still have a relationship with us and they should still maybe offer some type of help, some protection. I don't think that it's unethical to raise the plight of the whistleblowers that they benefited from having sold a lot of newspapers and get gotten a lot of uh, exposure. I, I don't think it's unethical for, for them to, to try to help us in some capacity. Rather, they've just shut us out. There's, communication is nil and gone. That's a tricky one. I think that uh, the idea of journalists openly advocating for their sources, uh, openly fundraising for their sources, destroys the, uh, the idea of impartiality, that they're just reporting the facts and they don't take a side. However, you make a good point. They needed you. They needed you to go on the record. Journalists often, I don't know what happened in this case, but journalists often will tell sources, you know, you'll coax the source. You'll say, well, you, you, you know, beyond whether or not you're right, you, don't worry about the lawsuit. And we don't really have any business telling people not to worry about a lawsuit. I was told that if we were sued, the Toronto Star would have to be sued and that our lawsuits would be ultimately absorbed by their lawsuit, that it would be sort of covered. I took that for what it was. Toronto Star was sued. Toronto Star is sued. They've, yeah. not, they've not gone to discovery. They've gone nowhere. Marineland is exclusively pursuing us in the hopes that we run out of, of money. Uh, they're not pursuing the Star. Star knows this. Well, where's that legal advice I could use, though? Maybe a lawyer. Why, why can't they help me with a lawyer or steer me into a, a direction? I understand journalist ethics and whatnot. I'm going to say that I believe that it was that those were compromised in the in the acquisition of information while this was happening. And I think that in the same capacity, if they're going to bend some rules, they can bend some to faith, to help us. Just saying. I live in a different world than the Toronto Star writer. I exercise a different perspective. So if, if, they're, if they were to appreciate mine, I think they could appreciate why I think that's a, uh, a fair request. Thank you. You're welcome. So after I spoke to Phil, I reached out to Toronto Star reporter Linda Diebel to get her response to Phil's claim that the Toronto Star promised him that they would have his back in the event of a lawsuit. Here's her response. We didn't make promises to Phil and otherwise have no comment. Now, if you want to read Marineland's emails to us and the documents that Marineland referred us to, we've posted that stuff or links to it on our website in the article that accompanies this podcast. We took specific notice of the fact that eight days after the first Toronto Star article ran in 2012, independent experts from CASA, the Canadian Accredited Zoos and Aquarium Association, inspected Marineland's water and found no issues. You can find links to that plus many other documents at canadalandshow.com. Our offer to Marineland and to John Holder stands. If they reconsider, if they want to come on the show to talk about anything that you heard today, we would love to have them on. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. The website is CanadaLandShow.com. The crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Katie Jensen. Special thanks this week to Doug Richardson. CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday. There will be no shortcuts on Thursday because that's Christmas Eve, but we will be back with a new CanadaLand next Monday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. 
You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.